HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network on tour on this beautiful Sunday in Portland, Oregon. We are broadcasting live from Feast. This is the big feast day two. My name is Katie Mosman-Wadler. I'm the executive director of Heritage Radio Network. I have a very special guest that I will be announcing shortly. First, I want to say a big thank you to everybody in the audience for coming in in the rain into our beautiful podcast lounge presented by Le Creuset. And a big thank you to Le Creuset and all of our partners, including Travel Portland, Salt and Straw Delicious Ice Cream, and the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts for making our coverage possible. I'm thrilled to be sitting down now with Dan Peterson. He's co-founder of the Portland-based brewery Ferment. Welcome, Dan. Hi, Katie. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. (laughs) We're so delighted to have you. I was um, very particular about getting to interview you at Feast because as I read your bio, it turns out we have a lot in common. Um, We both went to college in Vermont, studied molecular biology, (laughs) and uh, have gone on to work in other aspects of the food industry. But I would love for you to talk a little bit more about, just just start with your undergrad career. Why did you choose molecular biology? And then how did that for you transition into brewing and working with beer? Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, that's, I guess, I kind of dove into molecular biology just because it's a really fun science. You're kind of imagining things that you can't really see, but they are really there. So, um, and working with basically puzzles all day long that are kind of complex chemicals, which is super cool. <laughs> it's kind and they're of like all... puzzles that turn into magic, but then you yeah. turn them back into puzzles. Yeah, and it, but then you're, all the while you're sitting there with usually clear liquids, and that's and just trying to figure out ways, how do you see something? How do you know what something is? And, and all these ways to determine that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I loved it. It was fun. Did you have an interest in brewing in college? <clears throat> I did. I, I actually really enjoyed beer a lot 
all through college. And then... Uh, <laughs> Which I, you started at 21 <laughs> years of age, of course. <laughs> yeah, the day of my, the, my 21st birthday, I tasted beer and I loved it. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I got started brewing with a friend of mine. Uh, he introduced me to it and um, just kind of fell, started slowly slipping down a slope where <laughs> it started occupying all of, or a lot of my time and space. So I got yeah. to be at a tiny bedroom apartment and there were carboys in the shower. <laughs> we had the closet, the refrigerator uh -huh. is empty of everything but uh, carboys of beer uh, cooling down. Um, Were you collaborating with roommates at the time? I feel like I've been to so many like UVM student apartments full of carboys yeah. of various things. Uh, this one, no, it's pretty much a solo project. Um, my, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, uh, was there with me through it all and uh, super uh, patient and tolerant and helpful and we had tons of fun with it. So, uh, Big shout out to Jennifer in the audience. Jen Hi. Peterson. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was just, uh, the, the beer brewing took on more and more. I actually ended up, because it's such a small space in my apartment to brew, ended up a super cool kind of um, artist studio and gallery and then just started like brewing up beer there to have available for art show openings and things like that. And, it was a really dreamy time. Um, at that same time, I was kind of leaving. I was getting out of the bio life sciences realm. And then, uh, um, yeah, it's, we kind of made a decision, Jen and I, to move to New York City. And this is from Vermont. And um, we, in that step, was like, well, I'm going to have to get a job there and focused on beer brewing. And so, uh, it was really great. Uh, I ended up getting a job lined up with Brooklyn Brewery, which was amazing. It was a, a dream. And, yeah. and tell us more about that position at Brooklyn Brewing. Uh, so when I came on there, you know, they they, they could use a, a kind of assistant brewery, brewer, um, a grunt, to schlep around 55-pound bags, milling in, mashing out, cleaning all the kegs. But also it was an awesome opportunity for me is that they were... They wanted to get a, a small microbiology lab set up there. So I, it kind of really is a perfect fit. You, the, that stoked. molecular biology degree really came yeah. in handy, yeah, so as I, it does. Yeah, so I got to start my, start my mornings in, like, you know, uh, milling in batches of beer, um, doing, like, all that kind of grunt work, but being right there in it all. And then usually towards the end of the day, everyone else was wrapping up, and I had kind of snuck off throughout the day and collected samples out of all the tanks, out of all the bottles. We've got bottle conditioning programs set up there. And so collecting samples and had them all tucked aside in the lab. And I think everyone else usually gone towards the end of the day. And I got to uh, plate everything out and, and uh, kind of just dive back into microbiology at that time. Mm -hmm. yeah. At that time at Brooklyn Brewery, were the beers you know, primarily, were you working with Saccharomyces or were you starting to like get into, I, I mean, now there's this huge trend in sour beers that are fermented with other strains of yeast and other types of bacteria. So um, had that sort of hit as you were developing this lab? Because that can add a lot of complexity to a microbiology lab. Yeah, that's a great question. We, um, at that point, we hadn't completely dived into um, a lot of mixed cultures. We did played a little bit with Britannomyces. We did also kind of played around with some wineries. Um, we're doing some kind of like beer wine hybrid things. And um, 
of course, then the winery people were, were like, horrified to think that we'd been touching Britannoises at all at that time. Cause right, yeah, because it was undesirable <laughs> yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah, for them. Because yeah, bread the is sort of synonymous with yeah. sock, feet, Just, yeah, odors. Problems and of wine. Undesirable, some yes, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but while I was there, it was fun. We got to get a barrel, you know, like, more in the barrel aging program. Um, and then that's also when we started up a bottle conditioning program there. So it was the 750 mil bottles, all 100% bottle re-fermented. And uh, it was fun for me because getting to devote a lot of time into that and, and as like that entry, job, entry level brewing position got to be more of just a fully well-rounded brewing position. Plus the lab work, I just got to be really familiar with everything that was going on, I feel like, in the brewery. Um, and that's helped a lot since. <laughs> How did you end up in Oregon? Uh, so it was seven years in New York. Um, in that time, uh, Jen and I got married. We also had a couple kids. And <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think New York apartments kept getting smaller and smaller or something, or kids got that. bigger, things, yeah. Uh -huh. So it got to a point where we were just like, we need to choose a place to, to go. Um, some friends had recommended Oregon to us, even though we had never been to Oregon at all. And there's like, you guys like, you know, I was, I was commuting everywhere by bicycle. So New York City, like, you know, kind of living on my bike in, or in the apartment or in the brewery. Those are the three places I was. And they were just like, you're a brewer and you're, and you're on your bike all the time. Like, you got to get out to Oregon. And so, yeah, we kind of, there was a moment, it was a leap of faith, kind of vacation slash interview slash quitting my job moment where we fully committed and uh, uh, yeah, everything fell into place so nicely. Um, so I got a job lined up at um, uh, Full Sail Brewing in, um, in Hood River and just love it. When we moved to Hood River, the community was amazing. Um, it's just kind of really, really fun to see. Also brewing you know, from a different part of the country and to then you know be out here and get to go get to know hop farmers and you know get to know now working with like barley and you know the people that are growing grains and malting the grains and becoming friends with them and um, just seeing this whole different kind of perspective at all uh, it's been super fun. Can you describe Hood River for somebody who's never been there? Um, I, I visited for the first time a few months ago and it was pretty mind blowing of a place kind of geographically and culturally. What's the deal with Hood River? Yeah, I don't, I, what's the deal with Hood River? I do remember, well, I was in New York, and it was before we moved out here, and I'd heard about it, because I saw the job posting, and I was like, oh, well, it's not in Portland, so, um, I don't know, check it out, and saw, like, it's an hour east or so, um, pulled up some pictures of just, like, what do you do in Hood River? And my mind was blown, like, I, you know, being what, in the, What does one do in Hood River? Yeah, I was like, uh, so if you like biking, that it's like it's all the biking. It was like amazing biking, uh, great mountain biking. Um, if you're into kayaking, which I like, it's on my list. Still haven't done it, but I'd love to do it. Kiteboarding, windsurfing, sailing, kayaking, longboard skateboarding. Um, I I like moto dirt bike is kind of my new sport. So out there, I love it. Um, it's just amazing, it's, and it's the kind of place. You know, we being an hour east of Portland. 20 minutes to the, or 20 miles to the west of us is like deep, wet forest, uh, Cascade Locks, and 20 miles to the east of us is like high plains desert. Um, 
So just amazing places. There are great wineries all around because of that. And um, oh, just in, in the in the scenic Columbia River Gorge, which is <laughs> just an amazing place to be. Um, in, in Hood River, I saw a pretty um, cool alignment and union almost between like beer culture and wellness culture that is, I, I think, not the norm in other beer communities necessarily. I think it's becoming more so. Yeah. Is, is Oregon leading a trend in the sort of alignment of wellness with other non-traditional fields? <laughs> I think so, yeah. I I love it. Coming out from the city to Hood River and just seeing that kind of like, yeah, it is for such a small population so deeply like infused and soaked, I guess you could say, with beer. (laughs) And there's, you know, a ton of breweries per capita. And I was like one of the most, I don't know, don't don't quote me, but anywhere, I guess, in the country, somewhere. There's a lot of of breweries per capita. and everyone's everyone's got like kind of their finger on the pulse of what's going on with beer and hood revelers. Like this brewery has this out, this has this out. These people are working with these people, collaborations, this that that. The funny thing about it though is also you get out into the forest and there's just like beer kind of parties going on all the time. And then you get back and if you wanted to get anything out, usually after around nine or ten o'clock at night. Um, the town's pretty quiet because everyone's tuckered out from all the, the, the great things that they did, and, and then they all finished it up with a beer, usually at the like at the trail ahead when they got back to the end of whatever it was they were doing. So, um, yeah, I love it. It's great, great kind of part of culture and life out there. I think you found the Vermontiest part of Oregon. I know it's funny. There's I've, I've met a number of Vermonters also out there, and we kind of see each other like, great, like we figured it out. Yeah. Like, this is awesome. I love Vermont. I was just back there this summer. I love it so much. It's part of me, but. Uh, but it's really fun to see, you know, just to be out here and just, yeah, it's got a Vermont feel to it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your beer. So you were at Full Sail, you went to Freem, mm-hmm. and you were head brewer at Freem, and yep. now you've started Ferment. Yep. Um, talk about the types of beers that you're brewing, and I also want you to talk about how beers develop cult followings, and if you're trying to build those beers, or if it just keeps happening to you, what's going on? I don't know. I don't think I have a cult following me anywhere, but uh, um, styles of beers. So when we opened up, I really wanted to focus on English-style beers. That was something that, for me, um, in Brooklyn, had a really kind of like English-minded background to it, and while I was there, we did sort of delve a lot more into Belgian influence, which was great, and I love that. I love both of those. Um, I really liked kind of having having that a little bit, you know, kind of having that un, under my belt, going in and just being like, yeah, I'm comfortable and familiar and know English style beers and brewing it pretty well. It's kind of a funny, as far as the whole realm of different styles of beers, it's a funny one because it's not, it's it's a little less easy to explain why it's enjoyable. You know, if you, you know, having a pint in England is like, well, it's sort of flat and it's sort of warm and it's really savory. It's kind of bitter. But we love, yeah, it's got this bitter note to it and earthy, but but we love it. And uh, so that's why I got kind of the first few recipes that I pulled together um, and, and wrote up and brewed for ferment were English beers. And then it was kind of like, of course, there's, there's some pressure and a little bit of excitement about brewing an IPA, which is an English style originally. So um, we kind of had fun with that. I've yeah had fun developing that up and, and kind of you know in this case we have an IPA. It's one of our signature beers. It's our top seller. Um, but for me, it was important that 
it's brewed with English malts. It even has some English hops in there, which a lot of brewers, I think, think it may be hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, um, and can you it, talk about the English hops? Oh, uh, yeah. So in the middle of the boil in, uh, in, in Ferment Signature IPA, in our India Pale Ale, has um, some Fuggles and some East Kent Goldings in it from England. Um, it's actually not, not a very tiny addition. <laughs> it gets a real, a real hop charge in there. And those are the only uh, mid-boil hops that go in. So, I, are, are you one of the only brewers using Fuggle hops in? I don't think so, but I don't know. I don't. But, um, I was just hanging out with a bunch of brewers last night, and um, someone was joking about using them. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe the people that say they are are actually poking fun at me. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I love them, and I, they're great. There's people brew, growing them and, and processing them. So, so uh-huh. yeah, they're being used, um, and they're wonderful hops because they. They can they can add so much depth and complexity to things, and that's that's part of like so for that IPA. It's I like using the English malts in it. I like having some English hops in there, and for me, it's like yeah, it has a lot of American hops. Also finishing it off and the dry hop and things like that, but it still has like a real for me. I feel like it's, there's a real beer in there um, that sort of has that that beer character from where it came from. So, somebody who has a lot of brewing experience, can you distill for us? what maybe maybe just like the last few years of trends in ipas like what's what's happened what's over what's happening there have been so <laughs> many ipa trends that have been overwhelming i think in the last there, few years uh, it's, it's interesting it's kind of fun to see what what people embrace and what people as brewers um stick with and what kind of just passes by really fast i've tried to do things in a way so that i can kind of i I'd like to not brew things that I might be embarrassed about later on. <laughs> and everybody's <laughs> like, oh, remember when we all did this and all did that? So, uh, but I, I do think a lot of, like, I love IPAs. I love, I love so much about them. And I love the new, I love a lot of the new IPAs. So, um, like in the case for our, our signature IPAs, um, it's unfiltered. And that was something that in my past brewing experiences, having a hazy IPA was just like, you like, you didn't finish it and you kind of screwed up. Um, but it's like, but there's tons of flavor there, and brewers knew that if you're going to taste taste the IPA, taste it out of the fermenter because that's where it's good before yeah. it got filtered into the bright tank. Um, since then, um, you know, sour IPAs, all sorts of different kind of fruit IPAs, grapefruit IPA got to be huge for a little while. Um, more recently, something like you know, brewed IPAs. Um, we can you define a brewed IPA? Um, you know, I I never brewed one. I can't really. Like talk about one that I did, but uh, a lot of times it's it's trying to make an. Or I know the the goal of it is trying to make an IPA like a, a really hoppy ale as essentially as dry as possible. Um, a lot of times there's enzymes that are added to to help with that um, to kind of break down those starches into the simplest sugars, the glucose essentially, um, so that um, that yeast can just get everything down to you as as dry as possible, and then hop it um, quite aggressively and oftentimes with Nelson Sauvin hops. Um, from New Zealand, which have this like kind of Sauvignon Blanc character to them, which right. is, is that really like cool. passion fruity. Yeah, yeah, which also is, is an awesome hop. But um, yeah, I think that was one I, I I let by and didn't give yeah. it a, didn't give it a shot myself. But um, I did have a recent trip back home to Vermont this summer and uh, got to drink a lot of the new you know Vermont style IPAs, New England IPAs. So it was pretty much a week or so after we got back from that trip that. Uh, 
pulled together a recipe and brewed some Vermont IPAs. Just like, oh, we just got back from there and like saw so many friends there and tried so many great beers. So um, actually, we have that on draft now. So it's available out there if you guys want to check. We call it a North Hero Vermont IPA. It's a oh, nice. named after um, Lake Champlain Island, North Hero. That's where my family lives. <laughs> it's an awesome place. Um, What's going on with the sessionable IPAs and the low ABV IPAs? I think Are it's you wonderful. getting That's into great. that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So we actually do also have an IPA, and we're kind of basically trying to see how low we could go with uh, alcohol content and still make it like recognizable as an IPA and see how that worked out. So we have one. It's our IPA 3.0, and it's at 3% wow. alcohol. Um, and it's really interesting. It's kind of fun. To actually, I got to learn a bit in doing that because it's you got to learn how less is more. You know, I, you know, I, I knew all along, and that most people who brew know like you know the the more malts you have in a beer the more hops you're going to need to to counterbalance those especially if you're trying to make a hoppy beer so stripping so much malt out of a beer um and, and kind of using malts that that stand up stand up for themselves and be like okay this this still is an ale this still tastes like you know there's malt in there identifiable but now those hops are just like sitting out like fully exposed and uh-huh. really amazing yeah the, the aroma that comes out of that like first taste is just like whoa that's like hoppy but enjoyable like I've uh, been really surprised with the, how well that's been received by people and that's that's actually one ties in really nicely with kind of that Hood River culture um, so I've got friends you know also motorbike friends and they just come in and have have uh, one of those beers like that's what I need and actually yeah bought a keg on the spot and brought it home like, that's <laughs> what I need in my house so uh, yeah. I, I like that um, that trend so much and I think um, I'd love to know if there are techniques that you're using to kind of maintain body in a super low alcohol IPA like that because, you know, if you can't, you can't feed the yeast too much because they're going to make too much alcohol, but how do you just yeah. keep it from being like a hops flavored seltzer? Yeah. What do you do to like beef it up a little bit or give it that like round, yeah, that's, warm uh, feeling? And so that's kind of, it's been a bit of trial and, error, trial and error and a fair amount of reading involved in it. And, um, so I've done gotten two batches done now, and they're each quite different from each other. And then I have one in my mind for the third batch that changed it up a bit more. But it's really it's just a the the selection of malts that went into it. Um, those kinds of malts that have the more complex sugars in them um, that are kind of like going way more than normal <laughs> as far as percentages in the brew. Um, and then also using temperatures, mash temperatures, mash temperatures to. Uh, sort of promote, you know, uh, alpha amylase, so you're breaking your starches up into bigger, less fermentable sugars and trying to avoid breaking all the, all, you know, that little bit of starch that's in there in your mash in the first place down into, um, uh, you don't want that all to ferment out and get super dry, so trying, trying to keep as much body in there as possible. That's yeah. fun. Uh, for our live audiences here at the Big Feast, can you tell us um, where your booth is located and what you're pouring today? Yes, so... If you're at the Big Feast, we are in, I think it's Section 1A Street Side. That's, uh, <laughs> well, you're like, you studied this floor plan. <laughs> yeah, That's impressive. I could have told you that. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you had, I don't know, if you're looking at the river and, you, and then you go ahead to the right. Head south. So, yeah, go south. It, and it's on the right. Um, and one of the, little, I don't know, it's. You'll, you'll, you'll see it. It's great. Someone says ferment. Just keep drinking giant beer until you have sure. ferment brewing beer in your hand. Yeah. This yeah, just keep walking answer. around circles. And we have our summer IPA. So it's a perfect beer for today if you want to get that like warm, <laughs> sunny day in your belly. 
And then uh, we have a 12 degree Czech pills. So that's um, uh, Pilsner style, or uh, uh, Czech style Pilsner. And, um, Pilsner style Czech? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, uh, yeah, just fun beer. Also perfect for this kind of weather too. You, to, you know, you can look through, hold them up to your eyes and it's a sunny day. So speaking of escapism, uh, you are also <laughs> participating tonight in Vaguely Spanish. Yes. And tell us what you'll be pouring there. No, I'm super excited about it. Uh, we will have our, uh, um, oh, on there. Our, yeah, Lager Dorado. So it's Lager a, Dorado. Lager Dorado. So, so a golden lager, Mexican style lager. Um, super fun beer. Uh, it's a fun challenge to kind of make something that's, you know, dry and subtle and refreshing and has like that sort of, I don't know, maybe other people know more than I do as far as what the tangible thing about Mexican lager that makes it a Mexican lager, but... It's happiness. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this came out super late and bright, and um, we did brew it with an adjunct, which I've actually kind of loved and, and, and been really happy with, and that's a, it's a wild, organic, raw agave syrup went into that. And oh, so, cool. yeah, that, that fermented out, like, bone dry, um, and also kind of brings down the pH quite a bit, so as a beer would finish around, like, 4.4 to 4.2 um, pH normally. Uh, this came in a 4.0, which has got like really kind of a nice refreshing, it's not sour at all, but sort of zing to it, a refreshing zing to it. So we'll have that, um, I think, poured with a, uh, it's like a chili, chili salt rim with a little lime on it. It's, yes, it's, please. Yeah, it's funny, even before I knew about the event, we, uh, that's kind of been my local, or late, lately has been my after work kind of summer go-to. Um, yeah, and I'm not usually crazy about throwing fruit into beer. You know, as a brewer, I kind of have to scowl at, a, at that. But, I mean, for Mexican lagers... But when you take you your work hat do. off, then you can stop scowling and have yeah, what yeah. you really enjoy, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you finish one and the scowl's long gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, we will escape to sunny, vaguely Spain <laughs> later this evening. Tonight, yeah. um, thanks so much, Dan Peterson, for oh. joining us today, representing Ferment Brewing Company. Um, please drink all his beers. Thanks oh. for being on HRN. Oh, thank you so much, Katie. It was really a pleasure. I want to say a huge thanks again to our supporters, Le Creuset, Salt and Straw, Travel Portland, and the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts for making our coverage possible. We will be right back in just a few moments with more from Heritage Radio Network on tour. Stay tuned. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.